Welcome to this webinar. This is Market Segmentation. Uh, my name is Neil Wilkins and welcome to this fortnightly series from Cambridge Marketing College, uh, where we're exploring a host of professional and personal topics uh, to help your development as a marketer, communicator and business professional. Uh, this is a topic very, very close to my heart. When I first found, or I guess you could say market segmentation first found me um, as a marketer, um, it really transformed the effectiveness uh, that I had within my role. Uh, and it is something that has been very, very close to my heart as I've uh, been developing my career in marketing. So I hope I'm going to be sharing with you some things that uh, if you're not already using some of the techniques within market segmentation will hopefully hopefully transform uh, the role and effectiveness that you have uh, in your organization. Now, the key behind the concept of market segmentation, and, and when we kind of think of those two words, uh, it kind of tells you what we're going to be talking about here, segmentation of our marketplace. Um, it's really based on the premise that one size does not fit all. In other words, whatever you market, whatever your products and services and whatever your brand stands for, uh, it's not applicable to everyone, okay? Because no product or service has ever or will ever exist that serves everyone in equal measure. Uh, if you hear anybody within your organization, colleague or manager say, well, our product's for everyone. Uh, and believe me, I do hear that uh, even nowadays. Um, it is time to teach them about market segmentation because we're not in equal measure providing the same value to everyone. It is just simply impossible. Um, everybody has a different uh, need or set of needs and requirements. Everybody is viewing uh, what we're offering uh, from a different perspective. And the whole idea of market segmentation is to find a natural balance and alignment with individuals who will resonate and will want to engage with your products and services and with you as an organization uh, in a, a deeper sense, a more intimate sense than others. And that's really what we're after here, is to really base this around the whole idea that we need to be finding um, individuals, um, even if we're talking to or marketing to businesses, of course, business doesn't respond, it's the individuals in that business who respond, hopefully, to us. And we want to find um, others, other human beings who will relate to us and then hopefully perceive that they're going to get some value from that relationship and then hopefully at some point engage, maybe change their behavior, maybe learn from us, maybe purchase our products or services. And so we can develop that relationship over time. So ultimately, that's really what this is about. But the starting point is critical. Um, if Again, if I hear um, anybody say, well, you know, our product is appropriate for everyone and there is no single brand that you can name that you can say will apply to everyone. Now, of course, some brands are very, very large. And so they do have huge audiences and maybe quite diverse uh, audiences, but they still don't apply to everyone. So when we go through this conversation, what we're going to be looking for here are ways that we can identify, OK, so who is it then? Who is it then that we need to be talking to? Because if we say, well, it's not one size fits all, we need to find the people who will fit, if you like. 
So market segmentation as a concept um, really allows us to kind of understand the different needs and desires and behaviors and aspirations of different types of customer. So I'm going to use the word customer in a very generic sense here. Um, Philip Kotler has talked a lot about this, um, professor of, uh, of marketing, who many of you, if you're studying marketing, will have uh, been reading a lot of Kotler's work. Um, and he suggests that markets consist of buyers and buyers differ in one or more ways. And they may differ in their wants, resources, locations, buying attitudes and buying practices. And then he says, well, thus it makes sense to divide or segment the market into several segments. In other words, if we can find different ways that a certain group of individuals interact with our product or service, or we can find uh, different um, sort of individuals who maybe reside in a specific location um, or maybe um, have a specific kind of lifestyle that would be more appropriate to the kind of things that we're offering, then maybe there's a chance that if we were to talk to them and to engage with them, there would be a little bit more sort of um, reception. So they would be more receptive to what we're doing. So I'm talking here at a very, very basic level. I'm going to get in some, into some practicalities uh, in, a, in a short while, but we're just really kind of setting the scene as to kind of what this thing actually is and why it is so, so critical to not just think. And, and particularly I hear this when people talk about brand awareness. Well, I'm going to create brand awareness and I'm going to try and talk to everybody. And of course, nobody's actually going to really listen to that because if you don't do market segmentation, what you're actually doing in reality is talking a very generic, very vanilla flavored kind of messaging. So you're trying to spread yourself too thinly. So the idea behind segmentation is that we are going to you know, minimize really the number of people who we're going to talk to. So we're going to almost scale back our attention and our focus to a, a collection, if you like, of individuals who will hopefully respond in a consistent and ideally quite predictable way that is very, very specific to them. So that's really where we're headed with this. So when you kind of think about that, it's almost counterintuitive because your business or your organization is probably targeting you with, hey, go out and scale, go out and, you know, spread the message, go out and increase the reach. You know, there's a word um, that a lot of us playing in social media right now will hear and be working to, you know, expanding the reach, whereas actually segmentation is kind of the opposite. It's about finding um, little pockets of attention where we can actually get very, very close and intimate. So it's actually about not where it's almost redefining the reach. It's not saying that reach isn't a good thing because clearly to sell product and service and to communicate, you need to have an audience. So probably a large audience is going to give you more of a chance to, to score, but it is all about being very precise. So market segmentation really is the process behind dividing what potentially then, of course, is a broad target market into something a little bit smaller or maybe different pockets. So different segments that are more manageable um, and they will be based on um, a number of different characteristics. Now, I'm going to allow you to choose if you think about and reflect as I'm talking on your kind of sector, your kind of industry, your kind of ideal customer, and we'll talk about ideal customers in just a while. 
And I'd like you to reflect on kind of one, how you do it now, but also then maybe start to introduce some thinking about, well, actually, if this is possible, what might it be? So not just restricting yourself to kind of what you do right now, what the organization does, but actually what you might do. Because you can base these characteristics around things like demographics. I'm going to tell you a little bit more detail about these in a moment. But demographics, uh, behaviours, geographic locations to allow you to very precisely target the offer. So whatever proposition, whatever messages, whatever you know, product or service you're looking to offer more effectively in your marketing campaigns, because then ultimately what you're doing is you're actually becoming, you know, a lot more resource efficient because then you don't necessarily need to be spending big budgets because if you can define these target segments, so you know who they are, you know where they are, you know when they're listening, you know where they're going to most likely be um, sort of playing or where you can actually communicate um, or connect with them. If you can kind of get down to that level of detail, then there is just this inherent efficiency that you're building into the way that you're thinking about your marketing. It's almost like a byproduct of doing this stuff right. So there's a lot of wins in here. And what it prevents you from doing is just that whole scattergun approach of, yeah, we're going to spend some big budgets and we're going to make a load of noise. And hopefully somebody out there might be listening and you kind of look into the middle or far distance and you think, oh, where is everybody? Because, of course, nobody's listening, because what you've done is you've been too generic. So market segmentation allows you to build this understanding of a segment or group of individuals who might well be able or willing to respond more precisely to what it is you're looking to do. So I started introducing some uh, some big words in here. So the types of market segmentation. Now, there are four main types. I'm going to introduce a fifth way of listening and playing and acting with this in just a moment. But let's let's um, work initially with the four key types of market segmentation. So the first one I mentioned earlier was demographic. And this is based on measurable statistics such as the age or income of the group that you're targeting. So a demographic segmentation looks at things like age or income. So these are kind of measurable objective numbers, statistics or trends within a group of individuals that um, will allow you to almost sort of start to predict how they might respond based on their age or their income, which might then translate into how much propensity they have to be able to buy your products and services and the like. Second one is psychographic. Now, this one to me is a little bit more interesting. It probably plays back to, you know, all my psychology studies back in the day. Um, and the psychographic style of things is based on things like lifestyle, values, personality. You probably add in things like preferences, um, style, if you like, tone of voice into psychographic. And what's happening here is there's a bit more of a deeper kind of psychology behind it. Now, I'm not saying that demographic isn't a good thing to do. Um, it is quite predictable and it's quite precise. And psychographic can be a little bit more tricky because it's a little bit more subjective. It's probably open to a little bit of interpretation, because if I talk about a lifestyle or a value or set of values, you might have a slightly different take on the same kind kinds of words, or you might interpret it differently. So psychographic is a little bit more, um, I guess, fluid, should we say, um, in, in the definition of segmentation. 
Um, another one is geographic. And this one, as the name implies, is based on geography. So location. So that could be country. It could be region. It could be city. Uh, it could be even, you know, postcode. So down to a very, very specific level of detail based on location. And the fourth one is behavioral. Now, this is the one where if you have what we call first party data, so you're keeping good records of your customers and you're profiling groups of customers who um, use products in a, a way. And you can sort of say, look, all of these customers over here, they kind of use our product in this same way, in this kind of um, manner, at this kind of time. Uh, they use the product for this amount of um, duration. So you can start to kind of build predictable patterns, if you like, around the behavior. You can also look at how they respond to particular uh, communications or the way or the process that they buy your products and services. And also things like loyalty will come into the behavioral segmentation. But often that is based around a deeper understanding of your customer relationship management or your what we would call first party data. So if you're a startup, for example, the behavioral segmentation is going to be quite difficult because you probably won't have that data. So you might want to start somewhere else. Now, if you're thinking about demographic, psychographic, geographic and behavioral, you're probably already starting to think, well, hold on a minute, Neil. Doesn't there isn't there an interaction between these things? Couldn't I do more than one? And of course, the answer is, of course, yes, because based around your behavioral. So if you took a subset of your customer base right now and you split that down into a geographic segmentation, so you say, OK, I just want all of the customers um, who have been loyal to us. So they repurchased at some point in the past and they're based in the southwest. OK, so you've then combined behavioral and geographic. And you could then say, well, actually, we've got a bit of data that goes on because we're watching them as well on social media. And we know from a lifestyle perspective, there's a bit of a psychographic segmentation in here as well. So we could actually split it down to the next level of detail. And we could also then do it down onto age because we've captured that in our database. So we could do all four and split it right the way down. And oh, look, there's 20 people who answered to that segmentation profile. So we've got them as a, a demographic. We've got them psychographic. So we know a bit about their lifestyle. We've got a bit of geograph um, geography in there. So we know where they actually are based. And we've got some behavioral data. So the answer is yes, you can combine however you like these four types of market segmentation. And by doing so, of course, each individual feature that you add into your segment, you're then trimming down that defined audience deeper and deeper and deeper. And ultimately, if you're thinking philosophically about market segmentation, you could say, well, Neil, if actually, if you kind of define this down and down and down and you get more and more specific, don't you come down to the level of one isn't there a point where you actually reach? Yes, I could just talk to that one individual because they answer to this description and, and actually they would be my perfect customer. And of course, the answer clearly is going to be yes, of course. But that isn't always practical. And I'll come on to that in just a second. 
But the idea here is that with these four types of segmentation, you have lots and lots of choices. Now, of course, you can't just think, oh, I've done market segmentation. It took me 20 minutes and I've kind of I've got there, I've done it, you know, done it one time and I've learned everything I need to know. And that's it. This is uh, an evolving science. This is an evolving discipline that once you figure out that this is a really smart way of focusing and targeting your marketing activities, it's almost like you've opened that Pandora's box and you can't, you can't shut it again. You can't unknow the value of market segmentation once you start playing with it. So my, my tip here really is to start thinking about what are the things that would be really, really cool to know about my customer? Or if we've got a lot of different customers already, what would be the things that would really define my ideal customer. So the ones who are particularly loyal, the ones who do purchase again, the ones who are quite easy to access or would be easy to access if we got our communication right. What are the ones who are going to be with us for a longer period of time? The ones who kind of would associate with our brand style and the kind of values that we have so that we can really, really define them and see them as actual real human beings. Could I use those four types of segmentation to build this profile of that particular individual? And the answer clearly is going to be yes. So this is the starting of hopefully a lifetime's journey for you with market segmentation, because once you start to do this, you begin to realize there's a lot of detail in here, but at every step, there's potential value to focus. So let's talk a bit about these four um, styles of segmentation and what you can actually do to do this and how this might um, kind of manifest within your business. And then I want to talk to you about a fifth approach. And I'm going to dive very deeply into that one, because to me, this is the game changer. OK, so stick with me for these first four as I talk these through, but wait for the fifth one, because this is the one that's going to change everything. So the first thing then is demographic. OK, so this is where we're going to divide the market based on demographic variables like age, gender, also things like family size, income, might be occupation, could be education, might even be religion and possibly nationality. So there's a whole range of different things you can bring into the demographics here. And we're profiling to get a really clear picture so that, for example, if you are a luxury car company, for a start here. Um, you might then want to target high income individuals, whilst a toy manufacturer, for example, might focus on families with young children. Now, these are very, very simple examples. But do you see kind of what's happening here? We're already starting to define something very, very clearly. So we get a real picture in our mind's eye of who this target segment are going to be. And then we can start to understand their kind of the way that they kind of exist within their communities, within their occupation, within their kind of, um, yeah, their, their circle of influence, if you like. So their friends and their families and their colleagues. So we can get a real essence of who this person is. And this is based a lot on data. OK, so the demographic segmentation is all about data, which will allow us to target or to find a segment that's meaningful to us. So families might not be meaningful to you at all. You know, families with young children might not resonate because of what you do. And that's fine. But you've got to find what does for you and for yourselves. 
Remember, the psychographic one is a slightly more subtle, slightly more kind of psychological preference driven segmentation. And this is dividing our marketplace based on social class. Um, so there are, you know, uh, segments uh, that you can do here. Uh, this is where we go back to the old style of profiling, which is your A, B, C1, C2 kind of profiling, which in some instances will still have value. Feels like quite old school marketing, but it still does have some value uh, in certain sectors. Um, certainly lifestyle and personality characteristics, that's going to come through in my option five in a minute. So stick with me for that one. Um, and the psychographic segmentation is going to come out in the way that your customer or your target segment lives and breathes and operates. So this is very much about lifestyle. So for instance, if you're a travel company, you might want to be marketing um, adventure packages, for example, um, across all of the different sort of styles of um, travel that you could market. You might want to then focus in on something like adventure packages to thrill seekers. Um, and then maybe relaxation packages and spa breaks and weekends and city breaks to those seeking a little bit more tranquility, for example. And so what you're doing is you're trying to match here based on lifestyle. So if you think for a minute, what kind of lifestyle would you imagine your key target segment and I'm still going to call them segments. I've got a different word for you in a minute, but we're still going to call them segments. Which ones would most resonate with the kind of product or service that you have? And remember, no one size fits all. And you might already be now at this point thinking about this, be starting to identify more than one segment because you might say, well, it's all very well, Neil, but I can't just put them all in that pocket of, you know, and we'll call it a segment there because I've got these others over here and they're also really important. And the answer, of course, is yes. You will probably, as you go through this exercise, identify a number of different styles of segment who could be, you know, a certain demo graphic, but also from a psychographic perspective, they might also then be slightly different. So you might already have two or three even. And then when it comes to the geographic segmentation, dividing your market based on the units such as nations or states or regions or cities or neighborhoods or communities, or as I've said earlier, postcodes, that will give you an option then to maybe around those behaviors and those lifestyles, around those demographics, those ages and incomes um, and things like that, all those things then maybe combine together to give you an opportunity to say, well, in that particular region, we're going to market to this segment because we know they are based here in a sort of a colder environment. And we've, we're a winter wear company, so we're going to target them there because they answer to it. But those there in the, the, that kind of sort of hot, re, hotter region, well, they're not going to really be, you know, sort of... Um, aligned with our kind of products. So we're not going to target them. So it literally is as simple as this. This is kind of what we're trying to build here. And of course, you know, another um, example could be a sunscreen brand who would focus on customers in tropical areas rather than in um, sort of maybe high altitude, uh, uh, sort of colder areas. So we're looking to get specific and specific and specific. And this is all about trying to align the specific examples that you have with the attitudes, with the location, with the demographic information that you're building here. So a lot of this is about data capture. 
Um, and so you might not be able to do this in isolation as a, as a marketer or even within your own organization. You might need to be talking to others. So suppliers, uh, resellers, other organizations, other stakeholders around your organization to build these kinds of profiles and to build these kinds of segments. And the final one here in our list of four is this behavioral one. And again, this is dividing the market based on knowledge, attitudes, use or responses to a product. Um, so, for example, if you were a gym, uh, you might offer loyalty discounts, for example, to frequent visitors and treat them differently, almost in a VIP way. And you treat them as a behavioral segment because, you know, they're more likely to uh, come back and have repeat purchases or they might be using the gym more frequently. Frequently. Um, a software company also might, for example, target uh, particular customers experiencing very specific problems because they know they're of a certain demographic in a certain region that they can be served in a very appropriate way. So we're getting closer and closer and closer to this pure defined audience of one. But what's going to happen is we're going to then scale that up again a little bit, because what we want to make sure we can do as we're starting to build these profiles, we need to make sure that we're operating at the right level. So I would always ask yourself the question when you go deep into segmentation, go as deep and as detailed as you can afford to service with your marketing. Because for most of us, we don't have the unlimited budgets and the unlimited time to be able to serve every single person as a unique individual. And of course, that's part of market segmentation. It's about saying, well, look, these individuals here that I've grouped together, they answer to this description based on those different types of segmentation. And they're close enough to be almost treated as one. OK, so we're treating them as a as, as almost as a unit. And I can afford to go as deep as actually serving them with marketing and communications, maybe developing products and services that are very specific to them. But I can't go deeper. I couldn't divide that group or that segment into two and then do two different styles of marketing and product or service to these two groups or three groups and go deeper and deeper and have multiple groups because I can't afford to serve them at that level. So when you're doing your segmentation, yeah, if you're doing it as a, a philosophical, theoretical exercise, then yeah, it's great to go super deep. But I would always say just to caveat it with a little bit of practical sense and say, go as deep as you can afford to service with your marketing. So if you can afford to have two different segments because you can afford to do two different styles of marketing campaign, or you can set up products and services that talk to two completely different audiences, then great. But if you can't go deeper than that, you can't do it to three different versions of your business, which is really what we're describing here, then don't go that deep. Stay at two or even just stick at one to start with to prove the concept. And if you do that, then you don't get swamped by segmentation. There's a big danger here that you can get carried away by really sort of sensing the value of doing this multiple times over. But if you can just take that little mantra, taking segmentation as deep and detailed as you can afford to service with your marketing, then at least you'll keep it at a natural level, which will be, you know, appropriate for the business, you'll have the resources to be able to serve it. And then you'll feel some real benefit and return on the investment of your energies by doing it in that way. 
And of course, what it will do is it will enable you, because you're going deeper into an understanding of your target segments, it will allow you to design targeted campaigns. It'll allow you to understand your audience's kind of unique characteristics and then create very personalized experiences that resonate with them increase the value of the customer experience, and of course, by doing that, increase their loyalty. So if you can almost embed this segment within your decision-making, i.e. where you're going to go, what you're going to talk about, where you're going to talk about it, the kinds of products and services that you're going to be developing in the future, all driven by your choice and your definition of your target segmentation, then you're starting to become very, very customer-centric, very market-focused, very, very actively listening to how that then market segment responds to all the things that you do. And then this is almost ultimate marketing because we should be, as marketers, as communicators, entrepreneurs, business owners, you know, all of the above, we should be reflecting the voice of the customer back into our businesses and then responding. That is our role. That is the reason that we do what we do. So this allows you to do that at a level of intimacy that you know, couldn't exist without segmentation because otherwise you're just treating everybody as the same and clearly they're not. So it's a really important exercise. Remembering those four approaches and those four ways of doing it allows you to build the starting point of your segmentation. And for me, that's where the fun begins, because we've now reached option five. And option five is going to include the word persona. Because what you've done so far, if you've gone through that exercise, and this is where most marketers have reached, but they don't go beyond it. What I like to do is I like to challenge then the segment that I've created and say, right, okay, it's a segment. So by marketing theory and marketing textbooks, we've kind of ticked the box. So we've got a segment. We kind of understand it quite well. We're kind of, we're proper marketers now. So well done. You know, we're doing a good job. But there's a next step you can take that changes everything, and that is to use the word persona. OK, so this is taking segmentation one step beyond, and this is understanding the humans within the segment. And it's critical for true personalization and customization of your marketing communications and product development and pretty much everything else you do in marketing. So what do I mean by the word persona? So I don't want you now to be talking about segments. I don't want you to be talking about customers. I want you to think of your customer having broken them down into these segments. I want you to start to build a real view of them as personas. In other words, giving them a personality. If you give them a personality, treat them as a real true human being, who has a face, who has a name, who has a personality. And if they were to walk in the room where you're listening to or watching this right now, if they were to walk in the room, you'd recognize them. So they're an actual human being. This changes everything. You would not believe how many marketers think they've done their job by doing a bit of demographic profiling and thinking, yep, they've got the mosaic type. I know who I'm targeting. Boom, there goes out my campaign. Oh, yeah, it kind of it worked, sort of, but there was something missing. For me, the missing ingredient invariably is the creation of a persona. And this is the portrait 
of an actual human being who exists within your segment. And so if you then treat them and understand them as human beings, suddenly they can become your friend. They're your marketing ally. You'll know what they're doing right now. So just think about this just for a moment. If, if you think about in an ideal sense, who is your perfect customer for the product or service that you are marketing right here, right now? If you think about this, who's your perfect customer and what are they doing right now? Just pause, just think, reflect on it. What are they doing right now? What time did they go to bed last night? Now, you might think, oh, hold on a minute, Neil. This is a little bit kind of hmm, bit stealth, bit stalker. Um, no, we're doing our role as marketer. Now, what time did they go to bed last night? And, and I'll explain why this is really important in just a minute, because I'm going to do a little exercise with you that will bring this thing to life. Um, where's your customer? Where's this persona going to go on holiday this year? Have they already been? Do they have a good time? Where did they go? What did they do? When did they get back? They're a real persona, okay? They're not just a demographic profile in a certain uh, lifestyle, in a certain geography, in your database. This is a persona. This is a real individual. Um, and other things like, you know, what other brands would you associate with your persona? What, do, what kind of brand of clothing do you see them wearing? Are they Android or iPhone? What make of car would they be driving? Where, where do they go shopping? Um, what was the last movie they saw, for example? If you can't answer these questions, this is a really interesting exercise to go through. And remember, the question is key here. This is your key, most valuable, most profitable, if you want to use that word, customer your key customer persona, the profile of this real human being who you are going to be targeting. And they need to become your best friend. This is your marketing buddy who's going to help you to do your job more effectively from this point forward. So I go through a little exercise and I'd like you to kind of have a little bit of a a change of tack here. If you have a, a notebook by your side or you've got a keyboard in front of you or pen and paper, um, just pick this up now, just for a moment. If, you, if you're working on a, a computer right now or you're on your phone, uh, go to somewhere where you can take some notes, okay? Um, if you're already in that space, okay, you can, you can carry on doing what you're doing. But if not, just um, find somewhere where you can note this down because I'm going to take you through a little exercise now. I'm going to narrate for a few minutes, I'm going to narrate a day in the life of your persona. Okay. And as I go through this, what I want you to do is I want you to answer it for your persona. And the, and the question is, and, and bear with me on this one, this is an activity that I've done literally thousands of times now. Um, and the starting point is most people, you see them looking around the room or sort of looking at me slightly quizzically saying, Neil, what, what's this about? I don't really understand what's going on here. This feels a bit strange. But if you just trust the process and just go with me on this one, by the end of this, you will have a portrait of a persona that you can then go away and test. It might not be the finished article, but you were not born yesterday. So you know a lot more about your target persona than you think you do. OK, so I'm going to take you through a little story, a little bit of storytelling, a day in the life of your persona. And as I raise questions, you give me the answer to the best of your knowledge and just go with your gut feel. Go with the first thing that you feel intuitively as the answer to this person. OK, and you'll build this profile of your persona that you can now use in your marketing. So the question is, 
Remember, this is the key thing about this one is if you could only market to one persona for the rest of this year, this is the person we're trying to profile. OK, so think in your mind's eye about this individual. Just put this individual in your mind's eye and answer these questions. This this is the person. You could only choose one. You're not allowed to market to everybody else. This is just one individual who you're going to market to the most valuable or profitable one for the rest of this year. OK, so. Give me the gender, write down the gender of this individual, okay? And also their age, write down their age and be specific. I don't want an age range here. This is not 18 to 64. If they're 32 and six months old, they're 32 and six months old. Be really precise. Remember, if they walk through the door, you need to recognize them. So write down their age. And where do they live? So, you know, physically, where do they live? Are they, are they based in a particular city, a particular village? Um, kind of where, where actually do they live? And again, the more specific you can be, the better. Remember, this is your ideal customer persona, the only person you can market to for the rest of this year. And what do they live in? Do they live in a, a detached house? Are they in a terrace? Are they in a bungalow? Do they live in an apartment? Do they live in a houseboat or in a cave? You know, what, what is it? Where, where do they live? What physically do they live? And who do they live with? Who are they actually living with? So do they live with family? Are they living with other students? Are they living with a friend? Um, are they living with partner? Who, who are they actually living with? And what time did they get up this morning? Actual time. Give me a specific time. Write down the time that they got up this morning. Now, you could be thinking, Neil, how on earth do I know that? But you do. You do know this. Just think intuitively. What time would they be getting up? Because you will be surprised at how accurate you will be. So what, what time did they get up this morning? And what was the first thing they did when they got up? Was it they picked up their phone and they checked their uh, they checked their social media? Was it they switched on the uh, on the radio? Did they switch on breakfast TV? Did they um, head for the kitchen and make a coffee? You know, what was the first thing that they did when they got up this morning? What we're trying to do here, I'll let you into a little clue. We're trying to build a profile here of little kind of potential contact moments within their day. Because, of course, if they did just check their social media is the first thing they did and you've decided well they got up at 725 this morning then maybe there's a little window there for when you schedule your social media posts you're scheduling them for 725 on a friday morning so that's what we're heading towards but for now let's just do the day in the life of so what what other things are they doing as they're kind of getting ready for their day let's assume that they're up to stuff. Do they make breakfast? Are they making a juice or a smoothie? Are they just grabbing a piece of toast and running for the door? What kind of media as well are they consuming as they do this? Are they kind of on their phone straight away or are they checking a tablet or their uh, their emails maybe as they're sort of uh, munching their breakfast? Um, are they leaving where they live uh, by themselves or are they off to do the school run, for example? You know, what, are, what shall it, is the start of their day? What are they actually doing? Um, and what time do they leave home as well, assuming that they do? I mean, if they're hybrid working, what time do they go into their home office, for example? Kind of we're starting to build a real profile of the beginning of their day and how accessible they are. Now, let's assume that they're off somewhere today. Um, so even if they're kind of at home or doing homeworking, uh, let's assume they're logging in then um, in that instance. But for everybody else, where are they headed? You know, where are they actually headed to? Um, how are they going to get there? 
So let's assume that, you know, they're heading off to some place of work, whatever that might be, or it might be a place of education, for example. But what are they actually um, what are they actually heading to uh, and how are they getting there? Are they are they driving, walking, cycling? Uh, are they going on public transport? Because things like the train, for example, if they're on a public bus or on the train, uh, it could be that, you know, you've got another little window of time that you can grab them between, you know, 7.50 and 8.20. They've got 30 minutes on the train. Maybe they're reading blogs or checking up on the news. Could you send them an email, you know, newsletter at that moment in the day? So we're looking to kind of get an understanding of what they're doing and when. And what kind of timescales are we looking at here in the day? in terms of, you know, how they're kind of traveling to their place of work and what time do they arrive and what kind of frame of mind are they in when they get there? Are they looking to get super social? Is this all about, you know, going into the office and starting to socialize or is this because of their nature or the style of work they have? They get in, open up the computer and they're log locking into project work. You know, is it headphones on and I'm on my screen or is it much more of a social kind of interaction early in the day? And what kind of workplace do they have? Is this an environment that is very paper free? It's very minimalist, very tech driven, or is it you know, a desk full of papers where, again, maybe some old school style marketing to them, brochures or printed direct mail might be appropriate to the kind of lifestyle that they lead? Again, little clues that we're looking for. And when they're kind of starting out on their working day here, let's assume that they're beginning to build some momentum in the day. What kind of touch points do they have with the outside world? Are they locking into kind of closed meetings where you can't disturb them? Or are they going into the classroom or onto the building site, for example, where they're kind of locked down, as it were, for periods of time where no matter how much marketing you were to do to them, they just wouldn't see it? Or is it that they're on screen and they're serving you know, other people through, I don't know, some customer support or something where out of the corner of their eye, they just happen to then see a social media post from you because you know that at certain times they're going to be looking at their screen. So how does their morning unfold? How social is it? How interactive are they? Would they want to come and be part of a, a thought leadership or knowledge community, for example, you know, in something that you're kind of facilitating or running? Do they want to come to one of your little online events that you're setting up? Or because of the nature of their role, are there only certain times of the day when they're going to be accessible? You know, doctors, for example, are going to be in surgery throughout the morning. Architects and um, surveyors are going to be out on site and not contactable during the morning. Teachers, again, in the classroom. So you're probably then waiting for a lunchtime kind of period where potentially then they're going to be checking their phones or looking at their email or checking social media becoming a little bit more connected, if you like. Um, and so what time is the, the lunch break and what do they do? Assuming they do have a lunch break, again, adding to your notes here about the profile of what they're doing as they go through the day. Critically, it's the time estimates. You can go away and test this by posting and sending out things at these times and see whether you're right but predominantly you will be, you'll be very close to the reality here. So kind of what time do they break for lunch? If they power on through and say lunch is for wimps, well, that's another answer that you could write down. But let's assume they do something at lunch. Is that break with colleagues um, and go to the canteen or do they go for a run around the park? Do they um, pop out to the shops and they check in their email as they're walking through the shopping mall? What is it that they're doing in that kind of lunchtime period? 
And think about the afternoon as well. What are they up to in the afternoon that may or may not be different to the morning? You know, if you think about the kind of role that they perform at work, let's assume that they are still working. You know, what is it they're going to be doing in the afternoon? And what are the little windows of time, specific windows of time where you'd estimate and forecast that they're more likely to be contactable? So make note of those times and the kind of style of their afternoon. And as they go later into the afternoon, we get to that point, even if they're hybrid working, probably that they would then say, OK, well, I'm now starting to blend my working and then my um, outside of work um, sort of lifestyle. So maybe they're starting to think about, OK, what time am I leaving work today? And what time would that be? Are they now checking kind of um, their, their phones to see, you know, who's going to be uh, sort of going to the pub after work? Um, is it that, no, I've got a sport that I'm playing this evening, so I need to just check that we've got a full team to play? You know, what is it that their kind of their mind is moving to for the afternoon and then into the evening? And what time would they be clocking off of work and then either leaving or putting down tools and then heading for home? And do they head for home? Is it a school run pickup before they get back? Is it that they're going off um, shopping or meeting friends and colleagues after work for a quick drink before they head back? Um, do they have a, spe a special interest that they're going to be following? Maybe it's I finish work, I go to the golf course. What is it that this individual does in their life? When are they going to be departing work? And how are they getting? there where are they headed to and at what times and with whom are they interacting so again adding to the notes that you're taking here to build up this profile and as the evening kind of goes on, kind of how does how does the evening take shape? Let's assume at some point they're heading home. Kind of what time would that be after doing what they've been doing? Um, are they kind of settling down for a, a couple of hours now with their partner? Are they going to sit in front and watch some TV? What TV are they watching? Or are they checking um, something on iPlayer or catch up? What are, what are they watching? Physically, what are they watching? You know, make a note of this level of detail because this stuff's important to allow you to dovetail your communications, your style and your tone of voice in with their world. If you're talking stuff that's at odds with them, it won't resonate. But if you can kind of feel like you're part of their lifestyle and their world, you're going to be supercharging your communications. And when, if they are doing such things, when are they then most likely to be multi-screening? So if they're watching something, the likelihood is they're checking their socials or they're just checking their emails to see what's going to pop into their inbox for tomorrow's actions. So they're kind of planning a little bit tomorrow's stuff and what's coming up or maybe just sorting their social diary. And of course, if they happen to receive something from you in that moment that added value, well, what's not to like? And as the evening then draws to a close, what time is their checking out? What time are they going to be hitting the sack and going to bed? Because then you know that it's the end of your schedule uh, in terms of posting stuff. So if you can make that estimate and know what they've been doing through this day, you've got a really powerful kind of essence, really, of their world. And final things that you can add in, a few little um, sort of notes of other things that you can add in here. Again, those special interests, what are they particularly interested in as individuals? Think about this particular human being, this persona. What other things are they interested in? 
And also think about, you know, again, what would they be doing over a weekend? We've talked about a working day, but what kinds of things are they getting up to over a weekend? And again, make a note of any brands that you would associate with them, because those brands are in their life and in their lifestyle for a reason. And understanding why those brands are particularly important to those individuals. And we're all suckers for brands. Let's face it. Even if we think, oh, no, I'm not influenced by brands. We are all of us, including me. So, you know, it is something that is important to do. So what brands would you associate with this individual? Uh, another one is also really good. Where do they do their food shop? So what kind of um, high street supermarket would you associate with this individual and why? So getting to the heart of these, you know, kind of their sort of day-to-day living and how they really operate is really key here, building this persona. Where did they go on holiday was the thing I mentioned before. Again, that's important. Uh, their favorite movie, their favorite uh, TV show, all of those things come into play here, building this real essence of this individual. And any final notes that you want to put in that really kind of bring this person to life. And then I'm going to then suddenly breathe life into this person by asking you to give them a name. Name your persona. It could be somebody who is quite familiar, you're quite familiar with, who answers to this description. But that isn't always quite helpful because it might then just really pin it down to that one individual that you already know. So it could be an exercise of just thinking, okay, what name kind of really sums this person up? And that is going to be a name that you are now going to be able to use, having gone through this exercise, with great confidence that you have got probably 80 to 90% accuracy already from assumptions and intuition. And I've seen this play out time and time and time again. When you go and play with this persona in your marketing and communications, they become the filter for everything. And of course, you can repeat the exercise for different products, for different services, for different locations and different segments. But for this one persona in this one segment that you're going to be targeting, you now have something super powerful that will allow you to really understand whether you've called them Bob or Mary or Joe or whatever. The name of that persona now is the fuel in your marketing. And what I would suggest, if this has worked for you, is that you actually start to talk to any colleagues, your line manager, and introduce that word as a persona. Don't tell them necessarily about the whole profile, but introduce that word to colleagues and say, this name, this person, this is my target persona. I've been through a little exercise, and this is kind of the person I've built, and they're called, let's just call them Joe for now. And I've built Joe around a kind of a profiling persona building exercise. If I was to say we're targeting Joe, This is a very generic kind of um, exercise. But if I was to say you're targeting Joe, what does Joe inspire in you in terms of, you know, understanding the person and listen to the way they describe Joe? Because I will almost guarantee you they will say lots of the things that you've put into your persona profile. There is a really, really inherent way of bonding marketers and colleagues together using personas. 
It is so super powerful. It becomes even more powerful when you build them together because the name of your personas becomes the currency with which you do your marketing going forward. So you can say, oh, I'm going to be doing a, a campaign towards Joe over the next two months. And, and of course, everybody knows the targeting. And it's so obvious then which social networks Joe will respond to. You can find Joe through the Salesforce and the Salesforce will then know who they're targeting. When they talk to Joe, they can feed back Joe's feedback into the data, into the system that you're operating with. So it becomes a currency that's really, really powerful. So can you see why I'm so keen that you kind of extend segmentation beyond just those four elements of building the base level of segmentation? And by really introducing a persona into the mix, it allows you then to build and address their needs, build a deeper understanding so you can address them and really personalize the communication. Um, and a lot of the big, big brands, the most successful brands on the planet, the likes of Google here with this quote uh, from the director of product marketing, who says, understanding your customers' needs and addressing them with personalized communication is the key to a successful marketing strategy. And of course, segmentation enables us to understand these needs and design our offerings accordingly, which in turn drives conversions, because it will, because the persona will reflect back, wow, you're talking my language. You really do understand me. And then, of course, the consequent ROI or the return on investment comes through loud and clear. So you can do it the once, you can create your version of Joe and do it again and again and again, up to the level with which you feel you can serve those individual personas. The, the organization who's created the most that I've ever seen deliver um, targeted communications to, they created 18 personas. This was a very large, very, very dispersed organization who just because of the nature of the very varied personas that they needed to talk to and market to, they had to have a lot of them, but they had a sponsor for each one. They had an activator for each one. They had somebody who was the custodian for each one. And so they really um, aligned and associated individuals within the team to kind of look after um, and really nurture the relationships with each of those personas within their marketing. So it took a lot of strategic planning, but it was so, so valuable. The way that they did it was really, really effective. So you can do lots, you can do right up to that number, but I would say your segmentation journey needs to start at a very simple level. If you followed through that day in the life of, then you've got a nice profile that you can start to work with. Uh, but if you're starting really way, way upstream here, I would say that it's about beginning with the key characteristics of your target market. What is it that makes your target market different how do you define them using those segmentation criteria and then divide your markets into segments based on the traits that you can identify? Find out the ones that seem to resonate the most with your products and services. And then you can really then using the concept of personas, start to really target your marketing strategies for each of those target personas. So they almost have, they have a version of you in your branding, in your products and services that's purely focused on them as a persona. And then from their perspective, well, that's the almost the big ticket. That's the passport to this professional intimacy that I talk about a lot. This is the way to get to that point. 
And then finally, what you can do then is you can use the reporting and the listening and the, the activities then that follow on from that to monitor, measure and adjust your strategies based on how that relationship builds, how, you know, the timing of your targeting um, performance actually works, the analysis of the insights that you see. So you do need to do some deep evaluation. This is not just, hey, I created a persona, I'm a marketer. This is the start of the journey. This is the start of that relationship building. But if you do that kind of exercise and then introduce it within your organization and get you know others excited about the concept of persona within segmentation, I will be very, very confidently saying your marketing will move to a whole different level. And if then your competitors aren't doing it this way, I think you can almost guarantee you're going to be in a very different position within your marketplace in not too distant time. So can you see why I've really kind of owned the concept of uh, segmentation and personas over the years? Because I've really seen a value to it. I've seen a real level of intimacy in terms of the service that, you know, I and my clients are able to um, really kind of give, if you like, in terms of, you know, our side of the equation, our side of that customer relationship. It is so, so powerful. So I wish you every success building more personas uh, in your journey of segmentation. But it really is the it is the big ticket. It is the big ticket through to successful marketing.